Welcome everyone to Our Town Ballarat, a weekly podcast talking all things tourism and hospitality in our town of Ballarat. My name is Ian Gunn and each week I'm going to be chatting with some of the characters and the personalities that make up our visitor economy here in Ballarat and we're going to hear their stories. How and where things started for them, the path they've taken that's led them this far, maybe some tips and advice for people that are starting out or thinking about getting into the industry and of course I'm going to ask them about their favourite things to do here in Ballarat. They're the things that make Ballarat great. Now this week is our first podcast and we're going to mix it up just a little bit. I thought it might be interesting for you to hear a little about my story. So to that end, I've invited my friend Brett McDonald from Radio 3BA to interview me on the first episode of Our Town Ballarat. We're going to talk about the early days, how and where I got started in business, the story so far, and what's led me to this point of my career in tourism and hospitality. But before we get started, just a reminder about our competition to win a weekend in Ballarat, and that's valued at $1,000. To enter, you'll need to have liked our Facebook page, Our Town Ballarat, Tag two people that you think might enjoy listening to the podcast and then listen out for the clue in this week's episode. And I can tell you that is the name of the hotel company that I worked for in Adelaide back in the 1990s. And a second clue, it starts with H. So now we've got the housekeeping out of the way. Let's get started. Hi everyone, this is Brett Mack from 3BA and welcome to the first ever My Town Ballarat Talking Tourism and Hospitality podcast. Now it's going to be with Ian Gunn, clearly that is not me, but we thought it would be a good idea to get to know Ian before we hand over the, the reins of the hosting duties to him. So in a strange set of circumstances, Ian joins me as my guest on his podcast today. Clear as mud. Hello, Ian. <laughs> that sounds absurd when you say it like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it does somewhat. Yes, it is. Uh, it is me, and I'm here being interviewed on my first podcast. Brett and I really appreciate you doing that for Pleasure, me. Pleasure, Ian. Next time uh, we do this, you'll be in the big chair asking the questions of uh, of a variety of really interesting people around uh, the Ballarat region when it comes to tourism and hospitality. Now, Ian, we're going to find out a bit about uh, you today. I think uh, most of us who know you in 2020 realise that you're the man behind the McCure and Carboni's um, you're the chair of Ballarat Regional Tourism, but your experience goes a, a lot, lot deeper than that. And before we start speaking of your experience, can I talk a little bit about about you and maybe your childhood to start with? Let's go mm, way back. Go going way back. Well, I'm not a native Ballarat uh, person. Don't have grandparents in the cemetery, but we moved to Ballarat in two thousand, I think it was now. So we've been here about twenty years. Prior to that, we were in. When I say we, my wife Louise and our family were living in Adelaide for 10 years and before that I, I grew up in northern Tasmania, Launceston, northern Tasmania, which is a town very similar in so many respects to Ballarat. It is. I spent nine years in Lonnie as well, Ian, so I know yeah. it I know it well. <laughs> it's a great place. Where it. were you born, Ian? Born in Launceston at the Queen Victoria Hospital, okay. uh, 4th of April 1961. So if there's anyone listening out there, you can quickly do the maths. I'll be 60 <laughs> years old next April. Happy birthday in advance. Yeah. Was, it a, was it a happy childhood? Yeah, very happy. I mean, 
I suppose we all look back at our younger years with sort of fond memories and I I had a pretty privileged background growing up as a, a kid in Launceston. It was a simple life back in the late 60s and through the 70s when I was going to school. Um, you know, loving family, wonderful parents, youngest of five siblings. Um, just a just a great time in my life and I sometimes look back on those days and think oh, you know wouldn't it be nice just to have a simple life again but of course life becomes complicated as you get older. It does indeed and of course particularly complicated at, at the moment with the pandemic and we'll touch on mm. that with the uh, tourism industry later on in this podcast. So as a youngster in uh, Tassie um, schooling uh, what happened there? Were, were you quite the scholar? <sighs> Yeah, well, I was quite the scholar really? up until about year nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I think it would be safe to say I could have probably applied myself a little bit more okay. diligently at school. I think I, I think I probably had the intellectual horsepower, but just got a few distractions in my way as uh, leading into year 10, 11 and 12. So I did enough to get what they called my matriculation uh, yes. uh, back in those days, but probably didn't really have any aspiration to go on to university. Um, there was an opportunity with our family business in Tasmania, which uh, some people may have uh, may have heard of or be familiar with. It was the old J&T Gun, which then became Guns Limited. And if you remember the pulp mill saga from Absolutely. some years ago. Absolutely. I was there when it was happening. Yes. Well, uh, J&T Gun was a, the, our old family business that had been in uh, the generations of well, four generations, I think, of, of guns. So I left school pretty much and, and went to work in the uh, aluminium window factory, actually, was my first job. Which was part of the family business? Yeah, part, yeah. Of, the, part of the first family business. Um, not really a, a trade type Brett but I did found my niche in administration and I ended up ended up staying with the family firm for oh, probably five or six years in in an in an accounting bookkeeping administrative sort of role so um, it actually has held me in good stead uh, all these years later the business guns in Tasmania to paint a picture for those who don't know uh, this was really the biggest deal in the state at the time, wasn't it? It was uh, mm, it well, was a massive a, business yeah. attracting international attention, yeah. lots of controversy because of the pulp mill. <laughs> lots of controversy, all right. Yeah. Uh, look, it was. Um, when I was there in the early to mid-80s, of course, it was just the family yeah. business that had been owned by the Gunn family for um, 150-160-odd years. So it really exploded after public money got involved and mm. it became bigger than... Ben Hur, uh, not just in Tasmania, they had assets on the mainland and overseas, so it was quite quite the thing. But um, unfortunately, now if you go back to Tassie, the, the, all the good things that the guns business did over the years has largely been uh, put to one side. Unfortunately, yeah, that is unfortunate. Mm. I think it's still a branded hardware store, and maybe that's all people see these days i'm not yeah, sure it's uh, times times marched on great shame <laughs> ian um when i was in tassie we used to refer to uh, the mainland as the north island uh when did you finally uh pluck up enough courage to leave tassie and uh, head to the mainland yeah well that was in 1993 and it was sort of a, an unfortunate set of circumstances really my my brother and i had sort of been involved in the hospitality industry i managed to get uh, the lease of a very small pub when I was 23, I think I was, uh, and worked 
worked pretty hard um, to build what on reflection was a great business of course when you're young um, you probably don't appreciate everything you've, yeah, you've you always got, want more that always, was young young to be a, a publican 23 yeah um, I enjoyed it I mean I'd been in working for guns in that administrative role and I did enjoy that but I also concurrently got involved in the administration of the sports club that I was involved in the football club and ended up becoming the secretary of the football club and you know then running the the bar with a good good friend of mine and we ran that and really did a great job you know it was uh, it was the sort of the place to go on a Saturday night and um, I can remember saying to him at one stage you know we we should be doing this for ourselves Um, (laughs) and we had no money to do it of course but uh, turns out that there was a little pub next to um, the family business in Cimeteer Street Mm -hmm. Launceston if you know that I do and uh, the company bought the little pub and I ended up going to work there and I was there for four or five years I'd say and ended up taking the lease over with my brother and we ran that and um, it was a great business a really good business but I made uh, a, a conversation that sticks in my mind all these years later um, I remember saying to my brother Tom Gee, we're doing so well in this little pub. Imagine if we had one five times bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it doesn't work like that. That so. youthful ambition. Yeah, it doesn't work like that necessarily. And we did get a um, a bigger, older pub, the Batman Faulkner. It was mm. in gosh, Metal Blank, Cemetery Street. No, not Cemetery yeah, Street. Yeah, I can't help you. Can't I'm remember the name of the street now. Yeah. How embarrassing. But um, that was in the the. Early 90s, um, interest rates were astronomical. Um, we had a good business. We were busy, but we couldn't keep up with the repayments. And unfortunately, we lost that business. And that's what led me to answering your question, what led me to the mainland. We pretty much lost everything in the failure of that business. And on reflection, I thought, well, you know, I really wasn't well equipped. Um, I was a pretty good operator, I think, you know. Nice enough guy, not everyone liked me, but you know, I was popular enough. The beer was cold, um, there was music playing, you know, sounds, so it was. Sounds so, good to me. Yeah, it does sound good, but then there's all, you know, marketing and human resources and mm. uh, finance and dealing with the banks. And to be quite honest with you, I was sort of over my head with a lot of that stuff. An interesting life lesson there, Ian Gunn, because you had great success in a smaller pub took on one five times as big, and it fell over. What have you taken away from that? Was it just the interest rates, or was there more to it? Oh, no, there was more to it. Um, I mean, interest rates didn't help. Um, probably I really didn't have a good understanding of business. You know, I, like I was good behind the bar, and I was convivial, and the place was busy enough, mm. but just didn't really have a good handle on the intricacies of business so uh, I remember when it all fell apart um, having a couple of conversations with different people and I thought I love this industry I really want to keep doing it but if I'm going to do it I'm going to have to get a bit smarter and uh, that led me to move to Adelaide with my young family and I went to the hotel school in Adelaide Um, that was spent the next probably the better part of next six years studying and uh, ended up working at the Hyatt Hyatt Regency in North Terrace in Adelaide for five or six years and got some really good grounding and industry experience there. I mean, they taught me a hell of a lot and um, 
probably dovetailing that into getting an education, a tertiary education. Um, really felt like in my time in Adelaide, it was sort of a rebuilding, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You've almost done it, if you'll excuse the French ass about it, haven't you? Because mm. you've owned your own businesses. Then you've gone to learn about how to run them. Yeah. And uh, then you've worked for someone else. <laughs> I guess if you had your time again, maybe doing it in a different order would have been smarter. Well, you can't have your time again, can you? Uh, <laughs> no, you cannot. That's, that's one certainty in life. And I, and I don't think for everybody it's the same path or the same journey to use a well-worn cliche of the modern times I think we all find our own way uh, I remember a couple of family members saying to me look you don't need to go back to university you know it's no, I didn't go to university you don't need to go to university mm. but um, I really felt I needed that education if I wanted to go on and do things I had to get a lot smarter and I certainly don't regret that I had uh, six good years and Ended up doing a couple of degrees concurrently, one on site at the University of South Australia and another one at the same time through the mail in, you know, um, I can't, this distance education, oh, I think yes. they called it, and from Monash University. And so I got a commerce degree from Monash University and I got a uh, degree in tourism, hospitality, uh, business management from the University of South Australia. Pretty impressive for a kid that got distracted from about year nine yeah. onwards. Well, if my old maths teacher could... Uh, could see me now. <laughs> He'd be he, proud. He, he, oh, he, he, proud. he would. He would be amazed. But yeah, look, it's it's uh, it's held me in good stead. That combination of industry experience and success and failure, leading into the tertiary study, and then uh, also having the opportunity to work at you know one of the better uh, hotel brands and companies globally in the mm. height, and I really valued that experience. Ian, I think uh, when I got uh, a copy of your resume, it was no surprise to see that the you know the brands and the businesses you had worked with. One thing that did surprise me was that the was the degree of company directorships uh, you've been involved with. How did they uh, start, and and where are they at these days? Well, they're all I suppose they're all you know garden variety proprietary limited companies, mostly my own family um, and private proprietary limited companies. So. No directorships of uh, BHP or uh, any public yet, institutions. Yet. No, no, none at all. But um, as I was going through that experience in Adelaide, it, it sort of led me to wanting to move onwards and upwards. I probably would have been 35, 36, 37 as I finished up there and wanted to move onward uh, there wasn't a lot happening in Adelaide in those days I've got to say uh, I was probably struggling ec economically as as other parts of the country were but um, I got the opportunity to move to Victoria I'm going to get to your question shortly I'm just <laughs> building up to that um, wanted to move onward and upward it applied to the tiny little ad that was in the age newspaper I thought I'll look further afield I'll look in Victoria and see if there's anything uh, anything on the agenda there so a uh, tiny little ad in the age newspaper replied to that and there was a regional manager's role with sundown and motorins who were uh, who were a public uh, company and the role and responsibility was looking after their portfolio of um, motorins motels in victoria and southern new south wales so uh, i really enjoyed my time with Sundowner, there were great people I worked with. A couple, uh, one in particular, actually, uh, Stephen Howth, who was a great mentor, a great 
businessman, great, um, great insight into how to operate you know, regional motels and I enjoyed my time with Sundowner. That ultimately came to an end when I accepted a role with Choice Hotels who were an American company and had bought, um, for those in the audience that are, can remember, Flag Inns. Mm, and Choice, Choice bought Flag uh, and I went to work for Choice Hotels in a, uh, in a sort of a franchise director type of role and our job was to go around to the, the sort of 40 or 50 franchisees in our portfolio and be their coach, mentor, guide, friend, buddy on how to operate their businesses and I did that for, well I was with Choice for about eight years and ultimately took on the national role that was sort of director of the whole franchise services thing and I think I did that for probably five, five maybe six years. Um, but there was a bit of me that was sort of unfulfilled going mm-hmm. back to the, you know, the failure of mm. um, failure of business in the late 80s, early early 90s. And different conversations with people over the time probably felt that if I was going to have a, a go at doing something for myself again, you know, don't die wondering. Uh, I didn't want to get to 60 years old and think, yeah, we should have done that. So... Um, I think I would have been probably 48, 49 coming into that sort of stage and think I'll, I'll give that a, a go. So um, made the decision, um, which is now about to answer your question, um, how did I get involved in all these companies? Yeah. Uh, made a decision with a friend of mine that we'd, we'd set up a, a business, um, a hotel management company, um, a boutique hotel management company, I suppose. We were contemplating that we'd you know, get contracts to manage small country regional hotels, which had been my background for the previous, previous 10 years uh, or so. And um, Gun and Parkinson was formed, and that, was, that remains to this day my management vehicle, if you will. Um, interesting story, my good, good friend Ian Parkinson, who I'd worked with at Sundowner Motorins, it was he and I that were going to set this uh, company up, so I'd, we were all gung-ho about it, we had the photographs done on the website and you know everything was looking great. I'd resigned, I'd, I'd, I'd burnt the ships on the beach. <laughs> that was a bold resignation. Um, yeah, I, I'd burnt, burnt the ships and then Ian said to me, look, I hate to tell you this, but I've accepted a promotion with uh, the company he was with. And I'm moving to Alaska. Oh, so you lost your partner. So Gun and Parkinson was never actually Gun and Parkinson. It was just Gun. It was just Gun. Gun, yes. But um, we'd already got it set up, and I liked the name. Um, and then, in sort of deference to the fact he was a great bloke, and I liked him, I just stuck at it. So, so that led to Gun and Parkinson, and was I did quite nicely out of that. Actually, you know, managing little bits and pieces here and there for for people. Some I did better than others, to be quite frank. But it led me to um, a couple of the current partnerships that I'm in now, where people said, "Look, we like the idea of you managing the business for us, but we'd like you to be involved in it." So, uh, bit of skin look, in the game, as they yeah, say. So that was a little bit of a problem because I didn't have a, a lot. To, uh, to contribute, mm. but I was able to able to negotiate a couple of arrangements where I was funded into the business and I ran them and um, still in still in a couple of those to this time actually. So um, I haven't got my resume in front of me, but I think if you're looking at the number of companies that I'm involved in now that I'm operating in some way, shape or form, it's probably six or seven or 
maybe even eight. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, we'll do the maths a little bit later. Mm. Ian, I'm interested in your view on working for yourself and working for others. You've done a lot of both. Are there pros and cons? And do you prefer one or the other? Yeah, I do. I certainly prefer one over the other. And probably since about 1986, when I did start working for myself or, or working for our family, I was the sort of the managing director, if you will, of those little pub at the very, very start. I've enjoyed working for myself. I've enjoyed being the sort of the master of your own destiny. Um, you sort of every day is a work day. Every day is sort of like it can be a holiday if you want to take some time off mm. to to do something. You can, but I've always been fairly well motivated and driven. Um, I certainly don't think I'm the smartest person in the room, but I think that I can. I've I've just had a happy knack. I think Brett of getting people good people around me and, and working cooperatively as a team in the corporate world i did i, I think i did pretty well i went st- i had to do it to be quite frank for you know 20 odd years from the time we lost our business in 1993 to 2010 that's that's about 17 years i had to do that um i enjoyed it would i do it out of necessity yeah if i had to i can work with people i can you know work in teams i can do that but i think i like the the opportunity to be freewheeling and entrepreneurial and to be able to create your own create your own path this is a podcast called my town ballarat and we'll get to ballarat in just a moment we're talking tourism and hospitality i'm not your host i'm brett mack ian gunn is your host he's the man i'm talking to today but we're finding out a little bit about him before we are letting loose on this side of the desk ian where did your ballarat adventure begin yeah, that can, came about moving from uh, Adelaide to work with Choice Hotels, as I was saying. So they said, look, you know, you can live wherever you like. Here's the properties you're going to be visiting. And I think it ranged from, you know, Mildura and Balranald and Daniloquin in the north down to, um, you know, Warnable in the south across to Mount Gambier. And I can't think how far to the end, probably, probably Melbourne. So looking at that whole sort of, uh, Western Victoria, Southern New South Wales, and we looked on the map and thought, well, Ballarat looks like a pretty good central location, country lifestyle. We like that, grow- having grown up in in Tassie, so that led us to move to Ballarat. Of course, for the first 10, 12 years of living here, we were, oh, well, I was working outside of Ballarat, so I didn't form any great connections or affinity with the business community here because most of the time I was uh, I was travelling. Mm-hmm. But over the last eight years or so that I've been based in Ballarat, um, really fallen in love with Ballarat. So uh, that's led me to get involved, as you said earlier on. I've got involved in, at the Mercure in uh, Main Road. I'm in partnership with uh, Donatello Pietrantuono up at Carboni's. Can I have that surname again? Donatello Pietrantuono. Very so, impressive. Uh, I'm not sure if it's right, but it's very If you're impressive. listening, Donna, you will be very, uh, very happy with my pronunciation of your surname. Um, so I've, I've been involved in that front and that's led me to meet a lot of good people and that's the one thing Brad as you move around in different places and I'm sure you've observed this there are good people wherever you go yeah you have so, to use your networks and I think uh, you've, you've woken up to that fact uh, here in Ballarat yeah Ballar- Ballarat um, you know really we've we've got a great 
life and lifestyle in Ballarat and something that I've really warmed to. I love it. Um, we don't have grandparents in the, the cemetery <laughs> and our roots don't go back beyond 2000, but I really do feel, you know, an affinity with the town of Ballarat. Tassie and, and tourism has come the, the, the full circle from being the island that no one really wanted to go to, to the island with expensive real estate and an absolute mm. go-to place. To a degree, uh, Ballarat, I feel, is, is a lot like that, from old, cold and gold to something fresh and exciting around uh, food and, and wine and, and history rolled in with that. Do you think we've come a long way? I think we all have, and Ballarat's, uh, Ballarat's no different. In fact, I think it's superbly placed in you know proximity to melbourne and a in a market of you know three four five million people but um yeah look certainly ballarat is old with the history and cold because we're at 500 meters above mm. sea level in the central highlands of course um and the gold it always has been and it always will be and i don't think uh, that's anything that we should try to shy away from but the modern traveller, you know, looking at the lifestyle programs on their streaming services or on their mobile phones or getting updates from social media and the like, have come to expect a lot more, haven't they, with the, with the ease of travel uh, generally, not so much at the current point in time, but with the ease to travel globally and be exposed to different cultures and cuisines and lifestyle. Um, I think if you're travelling now in regional Australia you know you sort of expect to get good food and you expect to get good wine you expect to get a an you know a high standard or a high op a caliber of accommodation offering and in that regard i think ballarat stands up well if you look at the food and beverage offer here in ballarat now certainly over the last five years maybe six seven or even eight there's really been a maturing of that i would have thought and some of the restaurants uh, and cafes that we have in this town are really something to be proud of they are indeed. Ian, um, Ballarat on a, on a national scale, I think, has punched above its weight uh, for a lot of years, probably because of Sovereign Hill. Are we more than a one-trick pony? Yeah, I think we are more than a one-trick pony. Let's not underestimate the value that Sovereign Hill contributes to the, the economy. Um, they're you know, a major attraction known nationally and internationally, so uh, a fit and firing Sovereign Hill is you know great for Ballarat absolutely no doubt about that but there is more to Ballarat than than Sovereign Hill there's the beautiful fresh air there's the wide streets there's the wonderful architecture there's the cafes there's the restaurants that we've spoken about there's the cycling paths there's the pro close proximity of Dalesford and Bunanyong and Clunes and those sorts of towns so I think a visitor coming to Ballarat really has got plenty to keep them occupied uh, for a good couple of nights if they were coming for a weekend. And I think there's uh, plenty of opportunity for them to eat well and to, to drink well if that's what they want to do, to be amused at the attractions or just generally just to walk around and enjoy what we've got to offer, particularly on a... Well, the audience can't see it, but it's a magnificent day in here in Ballarat yeah. today. Who could knock a Ballarat winter on a day like today, <laughs> Ian? Ian, you're on, on, on record, uh, I think you said this on my show on 3BA, that uh, even though the pandemic has knocked the industry for six, one of the upsides for a region like ours might be the fact that um, we have wide open spaces and fresh air, as you alluded to. Mm. Do you see, as the industry makes a comeback um, from COVID-19, that a country area such as ours could be uh, ahead of the pack for those natural reasons. 
I, th- I think so. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a marketing expert. I'm not sitting in the offices of um, Visit Victoria or uh, or the city doing the campaigns for for, for Ballarat. Uh, but I just can't help but think that the country lifestyle, what made Ballarat appealing before the COVID nineteen crisis, um, what made it an, an an appealing destination for a weekend or an overnight stay or even a day trip. To be quite truthful, I think that stands up well now. So um, if you've been in your living room or stuck in your house for the last four or five weeks or four or five, longer than that, Brett. Yeah, last, it's been uh, nearly three months now. God, mid, doesn't mid-March. time go, go mm. so quickly. Um, the opportunity to get in your car, go for a drive in the country, there would be a sense of freedom, space, safety. Um, I think Ballarat's got that covered it's a it's a great place to, yeah. to come to you seem to have a sense of optimism for Ballarat Ian, and the, the reason I'm having a guess at that is because I've been coming to your venue the McCure for many years and you keep investing in it you must think it's going to give back to you is that true well I certainly hope so <laughs> um, I mean you've got to keep reinvesting and doing the best you can we're a, we're a privately owned small business we don't have deep deep pockets we've got to we've got to make money to, to be able to invest um, but clearly if you're not investing into your product if you're not keeping it moving forward you're sort of going backwards because the competition is improving there is always newer fresher brighter offers um, we're fortunate at a property like the Mercure that we've got a unique point of difference I suppose in that we're right in, in the heart of Ballarat effectively or just on the fringe of the, the CBD and yet we've got six or seven um, hectares of land around us it's sort of almost like a little sanctuary in the middle of mm, um, Ballarat certainly conference and event business has been a key driver for us and we're feeling the pain at the minute with that but that will come back um, yes we've all done our zoom meetings and Microsoft teams and the like but there's no substitute I don't believe for being in the same room with a group of people that's we were talking off air. You can pick up cues from people and body language, and you know you can really have a productive meeting. I've been on a few Zoom ones, and they can be great, uh, but occasionally you have a few technology <laughs> yeah. technology challenges. So. For me, I've seen a few too many uh, nostrils. I think, yeah, uh, the yeah, camera positions can be. Uh, so um, I think in answer to your question, yeah, we have great optimism. And what other way can you be, really? It would be easy when things are bad and in the face of despair to sort of give up, hang up your boots and say enough's enough. But I think there are definitely brighter times ahead and we've just got to knuckle down and work hard to get there. Well, you're investing at the McCure. A competitor of yours is also investing in in Quest, a major uh, apartment complex in town. Uh, Mm. Does Ballarat need those extra rooms? Yeah, I think Ballarat does need those extra rooms. I think what Ballarat uh, will need over the next five years is going to be an international branded hotel, something um, something that's probably the next next level up from our current offer. Yes, we've got very good boutique accommodation, small um, 20, 30 room uh, properties, um, but a sort of a, a you know a courtyard by Marriott. Um, Hyatt Place, that type of uh, offer, I think is the next step for for Ballarat. So there's been talk of it in the past, hasn't there? And uh, nothing's really come to fruition at this stage. But 
it's sort of uh, like that old Kelvin Costner field of dreams, um, build it and they will come. Mm. And I think um, you have that type of offer in Ballarat, it would be appealing. Ian, you are the chair of Ballarat Regional Tourism. As your your members would know, there's been some, uh, well, quite an upheaval uh, in in this space when uh, council chose not to fund uh, the existing version of uh, of Visit Ballarat or, or or BRT. How have you gone in picking yourself up and dusting yourself off and getting on with business, promoting Ballarat and looking after your members? Well, it it's been challenging, no doubt. Um, and not 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 help with the the current matters, but for those who aren't fam- familiar with the history of that relationship, that the the city uh, some years ago outsourced to visit Ballarat the the marketing for the city of Ballarat, and that was I think relatively successful over the journey. But nonetheless, the decision was made probably around about this time year last year for the city to take that back in the house so i'm sort of pragmatic about things like that way uh, i may or may not agree with the decision um once the decision's been made and the umpires made their call you you sort of got two choices you either pout your bottom lip and sulk or you get on with a job mm. of making the the best of the circumstances so our board's policy at, at ballarat regional tourism has been to let's make the best out of this situation let's work as well as we can with the city and as cooperatively as we can to get a better result or the best result i should say brett for the city and that hasn't changed um we all all any of us want uh, the good people at the city of ballarat the the industry who we represent is a really strong positive uh, marketing result for the city of ballarat we've had some great visitation leading into 2020 2020 has been a bit of a train wreck for Mm. all of us so far but leading up to that point the visitation numbers were looking promising so I think um, in terms of trying to build on that we're better off contributing and being of assistance rather than being difficult and hard to get on with. Yeah, one of those partnerships, again, that you spoke mm. about earlier on. One of the pieces of marketing that I thought was terrific that is no longer uh, around is the Made of Ballarat campaign that uh, would have cost a fair penny to develop. It seemed to have a lot of traction. Uh, the current council have ditched it. Do you believe, does BRT believe, the Made of Ballarat campaign should resurface? Yeah, interesting question. Um, look, number one, I thought it was a, a great campaign. Um, I really think it spoke to the beyond old cold and gold of Ballarat. It spoke to the the artistic flair, the artisan nature of uh, various parties and people around Ballarat. So I thought it was a great campaign. I'm not sure that the city had the same enthusiasm or appetite for it longer term, um, and that will be a decision they make. For as long as the city want to use that made of Ballarat brand or campaign would be happy for them to do so. Ian, we've spoken a lot about your experience today. If we have um, uh, some 20-somethings, 30-somethings listening to the program today, venturing into tourism, hospitality, what learnings have uh, have you taken away from your lengthy career, sometimes successful, sometimes Mm. not? What, What would you pass on to these people? The one thing that probably is at the forefront of my thinking. I come up with a whole bunch of 
crazy ideas of things that we could do at the Mercure or, you know, Carbonis or other business opportunities. And over the time, I've found that a lot of people don't share that enthusiasm when you're trying to, you know, get other people excited. And I've often thought about that. And I think the thing is, if you're a young person, you've got a vision, a dream, you can see it in your mind what it's going to look like. You've got to remember that not everyone else can look inside mm. your head and see what you are dreaming, what you're thinking. So I've probably learned over the time that you've got to sell yourself, you've got to sell your dream, you've got to sell your vision. It's no good just saying I've got a, a great idea and I can, I can see it in my mind. You can't really expect other people to embrace it fully uh, don't th- i think the takeaway from that would be don't be deterred if people say it'll never work or you can't do this or there's plenty of other people doing it if you've got a dream if you've got a vision if you've got an idea if you've got something that you want to do think it through thoroughly try and give yourself something that's unique and and probably by your own input it, it's personalized and unique um and then you've got to market and sell it you know Mm. Uh, and and put some personality on it, I, a stamp of personality. The one thing I think I've observed in this recent crisis is that businesses have been compelled to you know, pivot is a well-worn expression at the moment, but they've been compelled to rethink how they're operating in the absence of demand in their sort of usual sources. Um, so they've come up with other ideas and other ways of generating revenue, but then the marketing of it and the selling of it really becomes the, the key. And I've seen some people do brilliant work with that. Um, my partner up at Carboni's, Donatello, has, I think has done an outstanding job in really stamping his personality on the Carboni's brand. And people get connected to that. So um, to paraphrase all of that, I think if you've got um, got a vision don't be deterred necessarily by others who don't share your view or share your vision because they're not really looking inside your mind and seeing your dream unless you can enunciate that more fully so Ian on the flip side of that what's the number one thing not to do yeah look it may or may not be the number one thing not to do but it's certainly a thing that I'll never do again um and that is if you're going to be involved in a business with a group of people or parties to it, um, you've really got to be invested in it. And we're in the food and beverage business, we're in the hospitality business. It's it's a difficult business in as much as there's a lot of emotion involved. You need to be connected to it. If you're not, it just becomes a bland offering, so to speak. So I've probably found myself thinking over this last couple of years, Brett, anything that I'm involved in, I want to be passionately involved in. If I'm not passionate, if I'm not enthusiastic, if I'm not fully committed to it, I'm better off out of it. Uh, There's an old saying, better to have an empty house than a bad tenant. And I think that's the same to better off not to have a deal or not to have the business than be half interested in it. Ian, congratulations on your initiative with this podcast series, My Town Ballarat. Can we call it a series? There's only one edition so far. Look, we will anyway. (laughs) Who are you planning on talking to and where are you planning on taking this thing? Well, I'm hoping, not I'm hoping, I'm expecting over the next few weeks to interview a couple of my industry colleagues and and flip the 
chairs around, Brad, although you have done an excellent job in uh, interviewing me today, so maybe it'll be, <laughs> maybe I can tag team with you to do this. If these. the McCure coffee is as good as it has been today, <laughs> I'll be back. Um, but in all seriousness, what am I hoping to achieve? I'm hoping to speak to uh, tourism, hospitality uh, operators so we can hear their story, hear about their business, hear about their pathway, where they, where they were, where they are now, where they see the future pass on some tips and tricks to people who might be thinking about getting into the industry, the, the things to do and the things not to do. Uh, but equally entertaining uh, people with stories of Ballarat and perhaps on their next visit to Ballarat or if they're in their lounge room in Ballarat, they might say, gee, that sounds interesting. I've heard a little bit of the story about uh, Donna from um, Carboni's or, or uh, my friend Kate, Davis, who's you know heavily involved in the food and beverage scene, I'm I'm interested in their story, and I, I want to learn more about the projects that they're involved in. So, the hope and aspiration is that there will be some people out there that are interested in hearing those stories, that listen to them, that it resonates with them, and they they want to learn more by going and visiting or meeting the people or walking the streets of Ballarat, or they might be in their lounge room or their car or wherever they are in Melbourne or Geelong or Warrnambool, Regional Victoria, fall upon in this podcast, hear a little bit about the, the people and personalities of Ballarat and, and think that's something I'd like to go and, uh, go and witness firsthand. I look forward to uh, hearing episode number two, Ian Gunn. Uh, you're a, a great uh, community campaigner in Ballarat, passionate about our city, a wonderful volunteer too. We shouldn't overlook that as a volunteer for Ballarat Regional Tourism and clearly a pretty impressive uh, businessman. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to have a look at the McCure and get some fine Italian food at Carboni's. Now, there's got to be a spaghetti bolognese in that for me, hasn't there? Oh, yeah, I just didn't like the way you did that. <laughs> yeah, look, Mate, I'll course, settle for a garlic bread, okay? No, we'll we'll, we'll uh, be able to help you out. Thank you very much, uh, Ian Gunn. Great to talk to you on my town, Ballarat, talking tourism and hospitality. Thank you very much, Brett. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. On next week's episode of Our Town Ballarat, I'm going to be speaking with businesswoman, innovator and entrepreneur, Kate Davis, who's built a successful career here in Ballarat in event management. Kate's a born and bred Ballarat girl and her work in promoting the food and beverage industry here in the Ballarat region makes for fascinating listening. I'm really looking forward to talking to Kate next week and I hope you'll enjoy listening to her story just as much as I will. So until then, look forward to seeing you in Ballarat soon.